And turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20 on pages 852 and 853 of your church Bibles. You'll notice uh, our, our text is, is 20, verses 24 through 31. I'm going to read the whole chapter uh, to give us some, some context. I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about, about the chapter as a whole. Uh, but John 20, we're taking a, a short break uh, this last week and, and this week from our, our uh, series in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, and that's because we've still got a ways to go before we get to the resurrection in Matthew's Gospel. Hopefully by this time uh, next year we'll be, we'll be coming to that. But John 20, uh, this is God's Word, beginning in verse 1 and reading through the end of the chapter. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, He saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if they have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he said said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, 
I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. People don't come back from the dead. That's what we've been told, isn't it? That's certainly what Jesus' followers, his disciples, and yes, even even Thomas himself believed. Jesus was dead. They had all seen it happen. They they put him in a tomb. He'd been there for for three days. Now maybe from time to time in our our modern world, you occasionally hear about someone who who, uh, was technically dead for for maybe a matter of minutes or even even an hour or two before being restored to life through, through modern resuscitation. But three days in a sealed tomb, after being tortured to death by the Romans, who were actually experts at, at their trade, that just doesn't happen, does it? Everyone knows that, including the closest followers of Jesus. So why are we here today? What are we he- why are we here every Sunday? After all, we, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday when we gather, don't we? Not just on, on Easter. If Christ is dead, if he hasn't risen, then we have no reason to be here. Ever. You're better off having a, a holiday to celebrate a, a magical bunny that brings you chocolate than being here this morning if Christ hasn't risen. You see, we have to, we have to square ourselves with what's at stake here. Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything is at stake. Everything hinges on this one question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? And if he hasn't, then then go about your business. There's nothing to see here. But if he has risen, as I know many of us here this morning fully believe, including myself, then the implications of that are truly remarkable. If Jesus has come through death, if he has truly carried our sins and taken the punishment at the cross and come out on the other side, then there's hope for us to come through death as well with him. And that's what John is claiming here, isn't it? That he says that that Jesus has risen and the whole reason he has written this account is so that that you and I might believe. And by believing that, that we might have life in his name. Everything's at stake here. There's no, this, this isn't a trifling matter, is it? This is no inspirational fairy tale. If you want that, then there's a, an Easter bunny who'll bring you chocolate, and there's Father Christmas to bring you gifts in December. What we're talking about here is, is actually life and death. And to put a finer point on it, what we're talking about is, is eternal life versus ultimate death. And every single person in the world must either actively or passively decide what they believe on this issue. And I want to pull out three reasons why 
I believe we should celebrate this morning. Three things that we see here that, that John's written down that, that I think are, are cause for celebration. We celebrate because the risen Christ enters our fears and our chaos. Secondly, we celebrate because the risen Christ ministers to our doubts with love and grace. And third, we celebrate because the risen Christ calls us to believe in him. So first, we, we celebrate because the risen Christ enters our fears and chaos. When, while, while I want to focus on Thomas this morning, I think it's important for us to understand the broader context that John presents here. This was the, the immediate aftermath of Jesus' death. And due to the, the Jewish Sabbath being observed, along with uh, the, the Feast of Passover, uh, none of his followers had been out to the tomb for, for a few days. When, when Mary... Uh, as well as we know from, from other accounts, that, that Mary went not just alone, but with some other women who had followed Jesus. Uh, but, but Mary and these other women go out to the tomb. And they went because uh, Jesus had been buried in haste. And so they wanted to apply some of the uh, typical perfumes and spices that, that bodies in those days would be wrapped in for burial. And you'll notice that, that Mary went under the cover of darkness. And that's because she was scared. John tells us all the disciples were scared. They were all hiding out, verse 19, behind the locked doors because they feared that they would be next on the hit list. And Mary gets to the tomb and she finds Jesus' body gone. The body had been placed in a tomb with a, a large stone over the entrance and an armed Roman guard had been placed there in order to prevent the very thing that Mary assumed had happened in order to prevent anyone from stealing the body of Jesus. They didn't want Jesus' followers to steal his body and claim that he had risen. And they didn't want the Jews or some other group to steal the body so that if, if uh, the disciples tried to claim that Jesus had risen, they, can, they could pull the body out and say, no, here, here's the body. Mary assumes that's what happened. Someone had, had stolen Jesus' body. Did you notice that the possibility of the resurrection never crossed Mary's mind? nor that of the, the other disciples, really. They all assumed that, that someone somewhere had stolen Jesus' body. After all, people don't come back from the dead, do they? What we see in, in Mary and, and in the other disciples is what life is, is like in a, in a culture of, of fear and shame. Surprisingly, it's a, it's a culture not unlike our own. What were they, what were they afraid of? Well, they were afraid of of being what we what we would call today canceled, right? That's the term we use for it. In their case, being being canceled would have been killed for having followed Jesus. The, the Jews were angry at Jesus and his followers. This was a, a deeply religious culture. And it was defined by Judaism. And the, the Jewish leaders of the day were not were not happy with Jesus. And they weren't happy with him because he had confronted them and challenged their belief system. He challenged their authority. He challenged, he challenged their, their, their uh, purity and their, their holiness before God. And they didn't like that. So they had him killed. They had him canceled. And you may think there, there isn't much in common with our secular culture today. But, but it was very similar to our, our culture. Our culture is becoming increasingly shame-based, isn't it? That's what's, what we see growing in the Western world. We have to draw a distinction, perhaps, between faith and religion. We aren't a, necessarily a, a faith-based culture in the same way that, that, that first century 
Israel was. But we're definitely a religious culture. You see, religion is, is simply a, a deeply held set of beliefs or values that demand conformity. And we get this confused because religion is often wrapped up with faith. But our culture today is still very much a religious culture. And that there are advocates for certain values who demand absolute conformity to those values. I think we all know what, what those are that I'm talking about. But that's the culture that Jesus' disciples found themselves in. And they were found themselves on the wrong side of it. It happened to be wrapped up in, in the faith of Judaism. And what the disciples were, were learning, what Mary was learning, was that in a culture like this one, you either conformed or you got canceled. And John speaks to us today, doesn't he? John speaks to our culture. He speaks to our hearts, doesn't he? In a society where, where secularism is the, the, the religion of the day, we still experience the oppressive demands of a world de- demanding conformity to its creeds and practices. We can relate to this. We can relate to the fear of the disciples, can't we? Or maybe you can't because you simply conform. Either way, what does, what does Jesus do about it? What does Jesus do when he finds his disciples and Mary afraid? Well, he he turns up, doesn't he? He is risen indeed. That's the beauty of this passage. He's risen indeed. What does he do? He steps into the fear and into the chaos. He he, he asks Mary, why why are you weeping? Implying, "Don't, don't weep. There's no reason to be sad. He tells the disciples, hiding behind locked doors for fear. He says, peace be with you. Peace. The last thing that they thought was with them is the thing that, that Jesus steps through the door and, and, and offers them. I'm not sure any of us can, can begin to imagine how this would have felt. The fear in the disciples' hearts giving way to shock. The shock giving way to joy. The joy giving way to purpose. Notice what Jesus says after peace be with you in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am, I am sending you. In other words, you're, you're going to have to go out that door that you're hiding behind. And you're going to have to face the world. And you're going to have to tell the world of the hope that you have in Christ. You're going to have to tell the world the good news of the forgiveness of sins. Of the resurrected Savior. And the fact is, that's, that's what they did. And they went out into their, their cancel culture and beyond, and, and everyone but, but two of them would die horrific deaths like Jesus did. But why? Why would a bunch of men go out uh, and die for a dead man or, or a stolen body? It's, it's, it's easier to conform to the culture, isn't it? Why would they do it if Christ had not risen? The only, the only real, truly logical answer is that there must be something to what John has written here. That there must be uh, that, that the resurrected Christ entered in and, and transformed their fears and chaos and he replaced it with, with peace and with purpose and with hope. You see, until Jesus turned up, death was something to fear, wasn't it? There was a reason to hide behind locked doors because if, if, Christ, if Christ was in the grave, these men were going to join him. But when Jesus turns up, when death has been beaten, it transforms everything. If Christ is living, these men knew that they would live with him. 
that they wouldn't join him in the grave. But then where's Thomas? Where's Thomas? He's not there, is he? Where could he be? We don't know. John doesn't tell us exactly. He's, he, he's not hiding behind the locked doors. We can take a guess. Maybe he's, maybe he's conforming somewhere. Maybe he's gone for deep cover. Maybe he did a, you know, a, a runner. Maybe he got as far from there as he could because he was so sure that people don't rise from the dead. Perhaps he was the brave one. Maybe he went out to do the shop, you know, get those uh, lockdown essentials, bit of chocolate in a box set, right? We all know what a lockdown essential is now, don't we? Either way, if there was one thing Thomas was sure of, it was this fact that Jesus was dead and he wasn't coming back. That's what he says, isn't it? When he's told by the disciples there that day that they had seen Jesus, verse 25, what's he say? Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And here's the thing about Thomas. Thomas says it, but we were all thinking it, weren't we? Or we have thought it at some point in time. And that leads us to our second reason to celebrate. We celebrate because the risen Christ ministers to our doubts with his love and his grace. Thomas is one we all know as the doubter, don't we? Doubting Thomas, that's, that's the name he's been called in the church for generations. I, actually, most, most commentators think John wrote this account after Thomas's death because he, didn't, he wanted to be sensitive to how Thomas felt about this. I think it's a bit unfair of us to, to, to call him the doubter because he only reflects really our own hearts, doesn't he? The hearts of every single person in this room this morning, including myself. And that's why what happens next is so beautiful because it's here that, that, that we see the wondrous love of Jesus for doubters like you and I. Eight days. Did you notice that? It was eight days of doubt and fear for Thomas, wasn't it? He was still hanging around the group, but he was certain that Jesus wasn't coming back. How many conversations do you think happened during those eight days? We saw him, we saw him. Nope, just can't believe it. No, people don't come back from the dead. Eight days of that. I wonder what you would expect Jesus to do when he turns up. How would you expect Jesus to, to deal with Thomas? You see, how you answer that tells you a lot about how you understand God. Would you expect Jesus to reject Thomas for his, for his lack of faith? Do you believe that, that you need a certain amount of faith in order to get Jesus to favor you? Do you think Jesus would demand something of you? Some kind of payment or punishment for your, your lack of belief, like when you, when you played sport? You know, and, and you turned up late for training. So the coach made you run extra to show how sorry you were and how committed you really were to the team. That's what we expect of God, isn't it? We expect God to behave like, like, like petty humans. We expect him to either reject us as not good enough or to exact some sort of revenge, some sort of penance from us. What does the risen Christ do? Well, he reveals to us the heart of God towards broken and doubting sinners like Thomas and like us. 
Jesus turns up, and instead of demanding an explanation, he offers peace. Peace be with you, Thomas. Thomas, are you struggling to believe? Are you, are you struggling to understand? Then, then here, touch, touch my wounds. Place your hand in my hands. Place your hand in my side. And Thomas reaches out and he touches the wounds that Jesus bore for his doubts and his sins. In that moment, Thomas is touching his salvation. His salvation that incarnate and risen. You can almost imagine it, can't you? That's in part the point. You see, Jesus doesn't, doesn't reject Thomas because he died for Thomas. He can't reject Thomas because he died for him. He doesn't demand some payment from Thomas because with the wounds that Thomas is feeling, Jesus had paid the eternal cost of his debt, of his doubt and his disbelief and his sin. That's why when Jesus turns up, he doesn't, he doesn't demand. Rather, he, he ministers to the brokenness in the heart of Thomas. Because that's the kind of Savior and God that he is. He is a Savior that meets us in our fears and our chaos and our doubts. And he applies the healing and transforming balm of the grace and love of God for sinners like you and I. That's why we celebrate today. That's why we celebrate every Sunday because Christ is risen. And that's a reason to celebrate. What more reason do we need than that? That Christ is risen and he comes and he, he meets us where we are and he calls us to believe and to trust and to follow him. And he can do that because in his wounds we see and feel the certainty of our debt and fear and shame before God. Having been paid for and covered. Jesus can come to you with with gentleness and with mercy because he's paid it all. And he comes to you and and he calls you to believe first and foremost. That's actually what we see in our third and final reason for celebrating this morning. We hear the, the call of the risen Christ. We celebrate because the risen Christ calls us to believe in him. Jesus tells us that we're, we're meant to see ourselves in Thomas, doesn't he? Jesus says we should, we should relate to Thomas, that we're, we're meant to imagine what it must have been like to be there as Thomas was. We're meant to relate to him and to allow his, his testimony and that of the other apostles to speak to our own doubts. Jesus says we, we should let the fingers and hands and the eyes and ears of Thomas stand in for us. Verse 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's anticipating our own doubts. And he says that, that he wants to minister to them the way that he ministered to Thomas. He doesn't ask us to have some extraordinary level of faith, but to simply trust his words to trust the authority that he gave to the apostles, his his disciples, to record the things that they saw and the things that that they heard and the things that they touched and to allow those things to to speak to our own hearts. You see, the beauty and wonder of the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus wants you to experience the fullness 
and the wonder of his love and grace, just as Thomas and his other followers did on this day so long ago. He wants you to experience the hope of everlasting life that he offers through his death and resurrection. That's the reason John wrote this account. John gives us here the, the, this reason for, for writing all these things down, doesn't he? In verse 31, he says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why do we celebrate? Why do we have hope? Because in Christ we have a Savior who, who stepped into our darkness and chaos, and he carried the darkness and sin of our hearts in his death. We celebrate because we have a Savior who, who overcame the, the darkness and chaos in his resurrection from the dead. We celebrate because, because we have a Savior who loves us and wants to minister to us in our fears and in our doubts. We celebrate because we have heard the call of our Savior to believe and trust in him. What would it take what would it take for you to, to utter the words we hear Thomas proclaim when he touches the risen Savior? He said, my Lord and my God. What, what would it take for you to say that? You see, that, that is the very question that John leaves each of us with this morning. He doesn't ask, what have you done to deserve Jesus' love? Because we can never answer that sufficiently. He doesn't ask how, how strong will our commitment to Jesus be because the gospel is, ne is never about how strong our commitment to God was, but rather his commitment and love for us. The question that John leaves us with and that Jesus leaves us with is what more do you need to see and hear? What more could you possibly see or hear? We have the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' disciples. We have the words of Jesus that those who have not seen but still believed are blessed. What more do you need when a Savior as lovely and gracious as Jesus comes and offers you life in his name? Let us pray.